Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Stock Talk. This is a little podcast that I've uh, been putting together where I like to talk about all things investing, where I get to share with you some of my thoughts and takes about what's going on in the market, as well as other people's thoughts and takes about what's going on in the market. The whole point, hopefully, is for you to take some nuggets of information, some insights and perspectives, and bring that back to your own personal investment decision. And hopefully it's going to help you make some better quality, more successful investment decisions for yourself. My name is Amin Reina, and I'm an investment coach and founder of Sage Investor. And as an investment coach, what I try to do is help people who want to become more financially independent. The problem that a lot of people have in doing that is, especially when it comes to investing, is they often feel intimidated or frustrated or confused by this whole investing process. They either don't know where to start if they're new to investing, or they've been investing for a long time but just aren't getting any traction with their portfolios. So what I try to do as an investment coach is I teach people. I engage with them on how to make more educated and ultimately more successful investment decisions so that they can achieve a certain level of financial freedom in their lives and achieve it with confidence. So today is actually a continuation of my previous episode where I'm walking through and sharing with you my most recent investment decisions. And these are investment decisions that I've made going into November and December of 2018. Um, in part one, I walked through the decisions that I made in November, and today I'm going to walk through the decisions that I made in December. Um, December was a bit of a, you know, it, there was a lot more pain and a lot more angst in the part in the in the markets. Um, what usually people talk about are, are Santa Claus rallies in December. It looked at some point for some people to become, it became sort of like almost like a Santa Claus massacre, and uh, it was a tough month. And there were some tough decisions I had to make, and some of them were not good ones in terms of outcomes. Um, but the key thing here is when the markets aren't doing well and the markets are in the market and you know, stock prices are tanking, um, it's critical that you stay true to your investment strategy, to your ideology, to your plan, and not let emotions dictate the decisions that you make. Um, you need to stay true to your investment plan. And that's one of the things I, I talk to people about and I help people about is helping people develop an investing playbook, a strategy, an ideology that they can apply. And it's during times like these where the markets are really stressed and people are feeling nervous and confused and have a bit of angst and are scared of losing their money. It's critical to have an anchor and an anchor, the best anchor you can have is having some kind of investment plan or investment strategy that you can you know hook onto and reset your ideas with reset your mind and help you refocus on really what are your ultimate uh, financial goals because if you let emotions start making your way into your decision making process especially during these kind of stressful times you can make things a lot worse you can put yourself in a worse financial position so the stuff that was going on in December really kind of brought that out and to, to me brings that out to, to the forefront. So I'm going to walk you through some of the decisions that I had to make, which to me were really hard decisions for me, um, and just share with you how I kind of dealt with it and how I went through these processes. And maybe there's something here, um, hopefully you can take away from that and bring that into your framework on how you make investment decisions. So 
let's just jump in. Uh, continuing on, uh, one of the decisions I made in December was I decided to buy, open a position in uh, the Vanguard um, Can Canadian All Cap ETF, ticker symbol VCN. Um, <clears throat> for people who've been following my, my blog and podcast and all that stuff, you probably know now that I've been really out of Canadian equities. I haven't really had a lot of Canadian exposure um, really for a couple of years. Um, and a lot of it is just because I just didn't see anything really worth buying. Um, I looked at a lot of the valuations of a lot of the companies and to me they were kind of you know, trading at either pretty fair value or you know, slightly overvalued. And, uh, but what's been happening is the markets have been tanking a bit. Um, now all of a sudden Canadian equities to me are starting to look a little bit more interesting. And so I thought, you know what, uh, and a lot of it has to do with commodity prices have been falling. Um, a strong Canadian, a strong U S dollar has kind of put a, uh, put a, a, a crimp on commodity prices, oil, um, copper metals, minerals, and all that stuff. And so Canadian stocks have not been doing well. The S and P TSX composite is down almost 10% this year. Um, you know, besides holding a handful of little token low companies, like I own positions in Windpack, I own uh, some shares in Nutrien. Um, I really haven't had much of a broad allocation to stocks. And so um, even though I think there's still some real serious issues with the Canadian economy and with potential Canadian economic growth, um, I thought, you know what, it might be a good time to kind of just jump in and start building a small position. And if the markets continue to kind of tank out, crap out a bit, to just slowly buy a little bit more and just start building uh, a position uh, at a low cost, a low cost base. So the uh, the VCN, the Vanguard uh, All Canadian um, All All Cap ETF, I've owned this in the past, um, and I like it a little bit more than the other ones that just have a focus on the S and P TSX composite. Um, this one has a more of exposure to more uh, Canadian small cap companies. Um, it still has a you know commodities focus and a you know a banking financial focus, but uh, um, I think I just like the basket of companies within this particular ETF, um, passively managed, um, and it's trading at a really low cost. It has a really low liquidity, um, low MER, um, and at the time when I was looking at it, it was trading near a 52-week low, and it was down about 8% when I started to uh, when I was starting to look at it. So I bought a small amount. I bought a small amount for about when it was trading about $30 a share. I think it's lower now, so I'm down probably like a few percent on it. Um, but if it goes down further, you know, I'm happy to jump in and, and buy. Again, it comes down to the ten one of the tenets of investing, which is buy low, sell high. When's the best time to buy stocks? The best time to buy stocks is when other people don't want to buy stocks when they're selling stocks when there's a little bit of fear in the market and so guess what that's kind of what we are where we were in at the time so i thought i think this is a good time to uh to kind of get in the game and get some exposure into it so about a little bit of an exposure to the vcn and as i said if we were to fall further i'd be more than happy to jump in and uh and uh buy some more shares so that was my first decision my next decision was something I totally wasn't even thinking about doing. And I didn't even have it on my radar screen. Um, but I ended up buying shares, opening a position and buying shares in Goldman Sachs, ticker symbol GS, and JP Morgan, JPM. Now, 
as I said, I had no interest in buying bank stocks. I haven't, it wasn't, it's not even on my wish list. Like when I go down my list of companies that I like to, stocks that I like to buy, these companies were not even on it. And uh, I think part of the reason is I've been kind of hesitant to invest in bank stocks because um, historically, you know, this this is like a long story going back to my early days of investing, but uh, I just found it hard, it's real, I found it really hard to analyze bank companies, bank stocks, financial companies, because um, it's sounding a little bit more tech, technical, my explanation, but it's just the, the, the accounting for financial companies is a lot more opaque. It's not very as clear cut and transparent as, you know, analyzing, you know, a manufacturing company or a software company or something like that. Um, and so I've often stayed away from it. And actually, to think about it, when I, when I started looking at it, the last time I owned a bank stock or a financial stock or a company, it, it was literally 2008, like literally almost 10 years ago, um, when the markets were really blowing up. Um, I think I owned, I believe I owned shares in Goldman Sachs. I literally, and I remember now because I bought it for like $100. At the time, it was like $100 a share. And literally, because the markets were so volatile at the time, um, I think a couple of days, the stock went up to like $128. And I sold it right away and I banked the profit. But it was just a weird time, and for, for, especially for, for financial companies. And, uh, and so I, really, I just really haven't been, I haven't been really into bank stocks, financial companies uh, at all. But it doesn't mean I'm, you know, aver- you know, obviously I'm not averse to it. Um, so as I was looking through the screens and looking through my wish list and looking through companies, um, I noticed that the financial companies, especially the last part of the year, have just been getting killed, especially the U.S. financials. Um, they're not getting killed like they were getting killed in 2008, but they're hurting. And, you know, you look at the XLF uh, financial uh, ETF, which I do own, um, that one's down year to date almost, uh, God, it was like 20% or 30%. Um, uh, more, and, you know, bring, so, and then I looked at like Goldman Sachs. Goldman Sachs year to date is down 35%. Uh, JP Morgan's down like 9%. Um, like these stocks are getting killed this year. And, uh, you know, Goldman's like 35%. Part of the reason they're getting dinged is there's, they've got some issues with, in Malaysia. Um, there's a lot of, uh, accusations that Goldman has done some, uh, hanky panky stuff and has kind of skimmed away a good chunk of money in, from the Malaysian government. And there are, you know, there's all kinds of legal issues that are going out there. Um, but, uh, and JP Morgan's down like 10% for like no reason. Um, at the end of the day, these are some of the most, you know, dominant, best of breed banks out there on the planet. And they're literally on sale right now. And I, I just, for me, it was just, again, the nature of the market. It was just really hard to, to uh, kind of like ignore that. And so I thought, you know what, I, I think we might be at a point where I thought, you know what, this might be just a really good time to start, again, building some positions, buying some really um, amazing, well-run, highly blue-chip kind of businesses, um, pick them up on, on sale. And so, again, this is December, and everybody's doing Christmas shopping, and so a lot of everybody's out in the malls buying stuff or buying stuff from Amazon. I've been sitting here buying, you know, really cheap 
um, discounted stocks. And so I ended up buying a position in Goldman Sachs and I ended up buying a position in uh, JP Morgan. I bought them actually for my kids' um, education portfolios or RESP portfolios. I just bought a little chunk of, uh, of Goldman and JP Morgan. Again, these are blue chip companies. Um, best of breed, dominant companies in, in, in the financial space. Um, and to me, I thought, hey, if you can't buy them now, I don't know when's a better, what's another better time to, uh, to pick these up. So I ended up buying some shares of uh, Goldman and JP Morgan. Um, the next move that I made is a bit of a strange one. I initially bought shares in ExxonMobil, ticker symbol XOM. Oil prices have basically been falling off a cliff over the last half of the year. Um, at one point, oil was trading in about the mid-70s, and at now it's just basically been free-falling. And at the time I was looking, um, oil stocks were trading, uh, Exxon at least was trading, um, oil prices were trading at about $46 a barrel. Um, and so oil stocks have been kind of getting pummeled. And, uh, and so I've been kind of looking to get into, oh, and get increasing my exposure to oil and gas stocks. And... Actually, if you go on my website, I actually did a quick mind map analysis of a, of a few energy ETFs. Um, and without kind of, well, I guess I might as well give it away here. Um, after the, the result of my analysis was that, uh, was when you kind of opened the hood and looked at some of these uh, ETF, com- um, these energy ETFs, they're really highly concentrated in terms of, uh, into a, really a couple of companies. So if you looked at the uh, the XEG, you will see, which is U.S. Uh, oil and gas stocks, essentially like half the value or half the portfolio is weighted in two companies, one which was Exxon and one which was Chevron. So to me, it makes more sense. It made more sense to like, why do I want to pay like a, an MER um, to own literally two stocks? Uh, in a portfolio, I might as well just go buy those two stocks. And so that kind of led my decision to look at Exxon because to me Exxon is, you know, it's the largest oil company in the world. It's one of the most co- profitable companies on the planet. Um, and the stock is is on sale. And the stock was, you know, trading in the mid 80s. Uh, and now at the time when I started looking at it, it was in the low 70s. And so again, buy low, sell high. So here's an opportunity for me to pay, I thought, to pick up again a high quality blue chip or company at a really nice discounted price with all the stuff going on in the markets. And so I thought that would be a pretty good idea, time to, to buy into it. Oil prices are at you know mid 40s. Eventually oil prices are gonna go back up again. And uh, so I thought, you know, maybe it's a good time to just start buying some stocks and uh, buy some Exxon and uh, build the position up. So that was my thought process at the time. But then literally a few days after I made that decision, I sold all my Exxon shares. And so what caused me to do a 180 was the Federal Reserve. At the time in December, the Fed came out, Federal Reserve came out and said they're going to increase interest rates, which they kind of said have been signaling while they were going to increase interest rates in December. So that's not really the big difference. The big difference was their forecast. They kind of signaled that they were going to inc- continue to increase interest rates into 2019. And 
there was a lot of people out there who were thinking that, you know what, I think the Fed was going to increase in December and then kind of back off um, because there's a lot of signs and indicators out there showing that the, uh, that the global economy is starting to slow down a bit, the U.S. economy is slowing down, and that maybe the Federal Reserve will kind of take the foot off the pedal and kind of just back off increasing rates further. And so the logic being, the logic being here is if that narrative or that dynamic played out, it would have caused the U.S. dollar to fall. And if the U.S. dollar fall, falls, there's a bit of an inverse relationship between the U.S. dollar and commodity prices. So if the U.S. dollar was going to start tracking downward, ultimately that would ultimately play into oil prices rising. And so then owning, obviously, oil stocks and having exposure to oil would be a good thing. And so that was the dynamic that was kind of in play. But then the Fed came out, and uh, the chairman came out saying, you know what, we're probably going to keep increasing interest rates into 2019, even if the economy starts slowing down, even for, you know, slowing down. And so the markets got totally pissed off about it, and that and people got frustrated. But for me, that kind of signal to me saying, if you're going to keep interest, increasing interest rates or keeping interest rates at their current level, to me is going to put upward pressure on the US dollar and so again following this inverse relationship a higher US dollar is going to be have cause oil prices to fall and so ultimately if oil prices fall then stocks like Exxon and other oil companies are probably not going to be worth are probably going to fall in value so um, so if you know if I played this narrative plays out then it doesn't seem to make sense to want to own Exxon at this time. I still like the company. I like the business. And I think at some point it's going to become a really good value. Um, but maybe the timing right now is just not so good. And so, um, and again, factor in all the angst that's going on in the market right now. Um, I just thought, you know what, maybe I need to back out. And so I, I ultimately, so at the end of the day, I bought in initially but then, literally a few days later, I backed out of it. So I sold my shares in that, um, in Exxon. Again, I like the business, and I wouldn't be surprised to see the stock. If the stock fell further, you know, at some point, I may, I may dive back in. Um, um, so, yeah. So that was my decision. It's a weird decision. I don't do this very often. But, again, the nature of the markets right now is just so um, flip-floppy. Um, that sometimes you just have to make some, you know, tough decisions. You got to just, you know, check your ego at the door and just say, hey, you know what, this is, this is, these are the cards that are you're being dealt. You kind of have to just play off what's going on in the market. And sure enough, after I sold it, oil prices continued to fall uh, lower and the, start, the shares in Exxon continue to fall. I think it's in the mid 60s now. Um, as I said, I was starting to look at the company in the low 70s. It's now in the mid 60s. Um, as I uh, checked in recently, a uh, couple more, couple more decisions that I made. Um, I ended up buying some shares in Tiffany ticker symbol TIF. Um, again, for again for regular people, I mean regular people. For people who've been following my uh, my podcast and my blog, um, you'll know one of my kind of core investing themes that I've always been interested in spaces that I've always been interested in always kind of looking to try and get exposure in my portfolio is luxury retail. Uh, it's a very high margin business. It's a very cyclical business. And uh, right now, the cycle right now for luxury retail, luxury retail stocks 
they seem to be on a down cycle. Um, stocks like Tiffany's. Tiffany was trading at about $140 a share earlier in the year. It's now trading just below $90, so it's it's been kind of crapping out. Some other luxury retail companies have also been kind of deep diving a bit. Um, but uh, so, you know, with the fall in luxury retail and Tiffany falling, I thought, you know what, this might be a really interesting entry point. So um, I'm not going to get into kind of the, the mechanics of how I made the decision because actually I, I put together, I'm putting together a video for that, a mind map video on my decision to buy Tiffany. So I'm just kind of going to um, tease you with the fact um, be on the lookout. If you go on my website, you'll be able to find a video called uh, my mind map decision on buying Tiffany. And that's where I walk through uh, applying my eight question framework and showing you how I came about make ultimately uh, coming to the decision to buy Tiffany. Um, so right now I'm just kind of teasing you and just telling you, hey, I bought some shares in Tiffany. Uh, continuing on, I also, and this was another, this was a tough one for me. I ended up selling my shares in Johnson & Johnson, ticker symbol J&J. Uh, uh, I ended up making about 7% on the profit, uh, on the, on the, at the end of the day, I made about 7.5% return on the investment. Um, but I was really kind of down on selling it. I didn't want to sell it. And actually earlier in the year, I was up almost 15%, um, on Johnson and on J and J. Um, but I sold it and why did I sell it? So the, what happened, it, it's been, there was a, there was a report that came out from, I believe, Reuters that uh, that the company over the last, you know, we're talking decades, for decades, has essentially been withholding information, um, citing the negative impacts of their baby powder products. There is a lot of, there's been a lot of insinuation and accusations directed towards J&J that, uh, that their baby powder products contained, I believe it was asbestos and some other kind of carcinogens. And there's tons of lawsuits that are out there, people suing, class action lawsuits, accusing the company of selling, you know, tainted baby powder products, that their baby powder, um, which is considered their iconic product, um, is uh is tainted and they've and they've knowingly know they've known that over the decade the, the past decades and have just kind of sat on it and kind of denied it and so it had an impact and like i said the stock has been actually doing quite well but when news of this came out the stock literally tanked it went down it was trading the, in the one like 147 range it went down all the way down to like the high 120s. Um, and so the stock tanked. So so, what, so that had an impact on my decision to sell it. And it comes back down to um, something I like to talk about, which is called negative game changer moments or just game changer moments where something happens with a company and it could be a good thing or it could be a really bad thing that really significantly impacts sort of the, the credibility or the the value of that of that brand of that company and to me this baby powder scandal thing and all this withholding of information and sitting on information 
really strikes to me as a real negative game changer moment because right now what it tells is that the credibility factor of management at Johnson & Johnson is, is suspect. Can these guys be trusted and girls be trusted? Um, and right now, the question is, I don't know. And as an investor, I don't know if I want to be holding... I don't, even want, I don't know if I want to be holding the bag and waiting to see how this all plays out. And uh, to me, this, that was, this was a negative game-changer moment. And I think this is something that's going to hang on this company um, for a long time until they rebuild their credibility and their integrity in terms of, of how they manage the business. And so, and it sucks because uh, to me, Johnson Johnson was a stock I've always wanted to hold. I've held it once in the past. It's a stock I've wanted to hold because to me, it's almost like a holding a, a, a portfolio of healthcare companies because they're in so many different uh, spaces in the healthcare side from the drugs, from consumer products, uh, baby products. Um, uh, medical devices. They are like literally to me a best of breed um, healthcare company, and uh, and so I, I I bought it for my kids' uh, portfolio. They were I had it in my uh, kids' uh, investment portfolio for their schooling, <clears throat> and uh, I sold it. I said, you know what? Um, you know I'm up seven and a half percent on it, so I'm okay with it. But uh, um, I just uh, I said, you know what? I I, I can't. To me, I think it was a negative game changer moment, and I just said I need to be out of it. I don't want to be holding the stock while I tries to figure out themselves a bit. Um, these are that's the time where you just say, you know what, I'm out, and that's simply what I did. Again, I liked the company. I liked the I I liked the company. I liked the business, um, but I just couldn't I just couldn't hold on to it. So that was my decision, and so that's interesting because it had nothing to do with all the garbage going on in the markets and everything. Um, this was really purely like a business um, governance kind of uh, issue that I had with the company. Um, the next decision I made, again, another kind of strange decision that I've, I made was initially I started, I continued to buy more shares of Big Lots. And, uh, and the stock was, you know, continuing to get beaten down with the markets. It was down into the, uh, into the low 20s. And I was still buying shares in it, just kind of lowering my cost position on it. But eventually it got to the point where I just said, you know what, I think I'm, I need to get out of this. And uh, my, my, my loss level was, at about, was crossing 20%. And again, we talk about having exit strategies. And uh, you know, my, my, my part of my playbook is if I'm losing 20% on a stock, um, I'm out and no questions asked. You know, I might like the company and the business, but I got to get out of it because I got to preserve my money because if I lose more money on it, it's going to be harder and harder for me to just break even on, on the decision. Um, so I just said, you know what, I'm going to cap the loss and I'm just going to move on. I think if the economy does slow down, like people you know, seem to be th- saying it's going to slow down, Companies like Big Lots, discounted retailers, are, are going to probably benefit quite a bit from it. But um, the reality is I was down over 20% on the, on, the, on the position. It was going to be really hard for me to make money off of it. And so I just didn't want to put more money into it. You know, I was buying shares to keep lowering the position, but it just got to a point where I say, you know what, I just can't keep putting more money into this. Um, 
if the if the trend on the stock is going to be continuing to be to be negative. So again, I like the business, and you know what? If the stock were to fall into the teens and the low teens, you know what? Maybe I might revisit coming back in on it. But right now, the math just totally wasn't working for me, and uh, it was working against me. And one of the things about investing is sometimes you just can't fight the math. The math just well make the decision for you. And in this case, it made the decision for me to sell big lots. Um, and I think it's important also, I, I think when I look at my, you know, what I did with big lots, you know, I bought the stock. I liked the company. I liked the business. I kept buying it. I kept buying it, um, averaging down my position. And then I sold it. And again, it comes back down, especially one of the things we get really screwed up with it is we let emotions drive a lot of our investment decisions and i think it's it can it comes back down to the critical element of having a playbook of having an investment strategy because you can write out you can map out these decisions saying you know what these scenarios that come up um, for what you should be doing and it forces you to follow those playbooks the false it forces you to follow those actions because ultimately that's what's going to help you save money because ultimately we want to we want to make money on good decisions, but we want to preserve our capital when we make bad decisions. And I, to me, from my experience, the best way you can do that is having a playbook and having an investment ideology mapped out, so you can just follow it and track it, track it, and stay anchored to it instead of letting your emotions just willy nilly just drive your decision making. From that sense, uh, it's really a key takeaway. Um, that that I get out of this, and as I, to me, it's been in, instrumental in helping me um, grow my savings meaningfully. Um, my last decision, and again, this feeds into my last decision, and this kind of feeds into my last decision, was uh, I finally decided to sell my shares in MGM Resorts. Um, I took a loss on it of twenty one point one percent. Again, this is a stock over the last you know people regular followers out there. I've been buying this stock. I've been, you know, analyzing. I did a video on on gaming stocks. Um, I'm a fan of it. I think the whole, you know, I, mean, I talked about negative game changer moments in businesses with Johnson and Johnson. To me, a positive game changer moment uh, in the gaming space is the when the Supreme Court kind of uh, legalized sports betting in the U.S. And to me, MGM is one of the companies out there that I think is best positioned to. Uh, really do some damage in that space. They've built out a platform and an infrastructure for sports betting. They've aligned themselves with some of the sports league, professional sports leagues out there. I really like MGM. I think it's a great, I think it's positioned to really benefit from that and kind of benefit from what I think is that positive game changer moment. But again, math comes into play. I was down 20% on it. The stock again, the markets have been falling. And so I've been slowly buying a little bit, little bit, trying to average down. But again, at some point I reached you know, my 20% loss position. My playbook tells me when I cross 20% loss, you sell, don't ask questions. Even if you love the company, love the business, positive game changers and all that stuff, you're down 20%, you need to preserve your cash. And uh, Again, I like the business. I like the long-term positive uh, prospects of it. Um, the reality is, when the stock was down 21%, I would need stock to go up almost tw over 25% just for me to break even. 
So this is, you know, just to break even. Forget about making money. Just to break, just to get my money back, I would have, the stock would have to go up 25%. And I'm saying, I don't know if that's really going to be possible in this current market dynamic. So I said, you know what? I'm just going to book the loss now, turn the page, move on. And uh, maybe if the stock keeps falling, maybe I'll jump back in at a lower lower uh, price point. Um, Again, sure enough, after I sold it, the stock kept falling lower. So I have it on my wish list, but, uh, you know, again, tough decision. These are tough decisions we have to face. And especially when you've got a market where, you know, stocks are, you know, you know, the Dow Jones is going down 500 points, 1,000 points a day. You've got all kinds of people talking around you, all kinds of noise. It's really easy to get emotions to come in and screw with your decision making. And this is, again, again, what's so critical to have that playbook in your back pocket, that cheat sheet um, that you can take out during those really tough times, those tough decision points that you're facing, and you just kind of, without the emotion getting in the, in the way, make it a disciplined, making it an informed and more educated kind of decision. And that's really the benefits of it. If you are interested, and that's one of the things I do with people, is I help people build playbooks. Um, so if you're interested in learning a little bit more uh, about building your own playbook, if you don't have one, I'm more than happy to give you some insight into that so you can give me a shout through my website, sageinvestors.ca. So as you can see, a lot of decisions here, a lot of really hard decisions I kind of faced over the last um, last few months. And in this episode, in the previous episode, I talked about some other decisions that I had to face. Um, so... It's, it's tough, and I'm, I don't think I'm the only person facing this, uh, these kinds of challenges. Um, hopefully, it gives you a little bit of insight, gives you some perspectives. So hopefully, you get some ideas in terms of how you, you, know, you can take back into your own decision-making. But at the end of the day, it's tough. This is not easy stuff. Um, and that's why the, you know, the, the only way you're going to be able to deal with this stuff and manage this stuff better and build your investing competencies is really doing three things. You're educating yourself, learning about the mechanical and behavioral aspects of investing. It's about practice, engaging in the process, and then ultimately it's about empowerment, getting the confidence, not like bragging confidence, but confidence when you're making decisions. And then ultimately what kind of links everything all together is is your playbook, is having your plan, having a strategy and an ideology on how you're going to go make a framework on how you're going to make investment decisions and then simply engaging in it and executing it and executing it without the emotional side getting in there and screwing it up. So times like this are tough. Markets are going down. It's kind of tough, but it's really, it's doable. It's manageable. And as I said, one of the core tenets of investing is buying low and selling high. And oftentimes the best times to buy stocks are often when the markets are, are crapping out. And the best times to sell stocks are oftentimes when markets are booming. But for a lot of people, we do things in reverse. We're kind of we we're not wired to think like that. We're more wired to buy high and sell low, and that's what's happening right now. So, um, hopefully, it gives you some insight and some perspective. If you have some questions that you want to ask about uh, about any of these decisions that I made, you want to get some more info and. Just tap in on that kind of stuff. You can hit me through my website, sageinvestors.ca. You can also find me on Twitter. My handle is at sageinvestors. I'm on there all the time offering some takes, sharing other people's takes 
about the whole investing thing. Um, you can find me on Instagram. I'm on there posting links to my podcast, uh, my mind map videos, and my blog um, blog pages. Uh, my handle is uh, at Sage Investors Nation. If you're also interested, every Wednesday morning, I also send out an email blast. I call it In The Loop, where I share with you some of my most recent content, links to my most recent content, as well as uh, stuff that I'm reading from other people who I think know a lot about investing and a lot of stuff that I read that I use to help me make my own um, decisions, types of decisions that um, I've shared with you today and in the previous episode. So if you're interested, you can go to my website, sageinvestors.ca. There's a little link there. You just sign up, drop your email, and uh, every Wednesday morning when you wake up, you will find a little note from me with some thoughts and takes about what's going on in the market. So that's all I got for you this week. That's uh, Thanks for listening in. Uh, this has been another episode of Stock Talk. My name is Amon Reina of Sage Investors, and we'll catch you again another time. Take care. Bye-bye.